Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. You're listening to Freedom of Species here on 855 3CR Community Radio. Uh, we are bringing animal advocacy to the airwaves. Thanks so much to Sally for another great show of Out of the, Out of the Pan. Talking about some really important issues that have been um, raised this election period and some really um, troubling and disappointing um, rhetoric that's coming from different parts of the uh, community and those who are trying to seek election. So certainly stay atop of those um, those issues and vote in a way that um, is is important on your conscience and um, is good for the community and those around us um, and doesn't perpetuate perhaps um, violence against others. So thanks. Make sure you check out Sally every week on Out of the Pan on Sundays from 12 p.m. So, as you know, the election is coming up, the federal election, and politicians make a lot of choices around what happens in our world day to day and what what happens to animals and can have serious positive impact on the lives of animals across Australia. There's several um, parties, I'm sure you know, there's lots of parties that run in federal elections, but one that have animals at their heart and uh there for animals is the Animal Justice Party. And we're lucky enough today to speak with Meg Watkins, who's a um, candidate for the seat of Corangamite um, down on the surf coast in just off out, out near Geelong. Um, and Meg's going to give us a little bit of an uh, overview of what the Animal Justice Party stands for and what their sort of policies are coming into the election um, next week. So, Meg, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you've been down at the pre-polls every day for the last week and you will be for another week. So we really appreciate your effort and your time and the time that you're giving to speak to us today. Thanks, Adam. It's so great to be on. I've listened to a few of the Freedom Species, Freedom of Species, I should say, um, podcasts and you, yeah, you're so intelligent and you, you cover such great topics. So I'm privileged to be on. It's always the guests. The guests are the intelligence ones. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about, um, let's just start with why are you running for the AJP? Why put your name um, behind the Animal Justice Party? And what is it about the Animal Justice Party that people should be paying attention to? Hmm. So I am putting my hat in the ring as a candidate with the Animal Justice Party because I do 110% 
completely align with this party and believe in everything that we do. I got involved with the party a few years ago and I have, you know, several other roles with the party. I'm the secretary and involved with the youth wing and things like that. So running as a candidate was kind of the next natural, you know, evolution of my role with the party and, you know, doing so has just made me realise how important it is and how important it is to have passionate, you know, kind, dedicated people running in politics. Um, and, you know, why wouldn't you run with the Animal Justice Party? We're, I know I'm biased, but we're the best party. Um you know, like you said, we were formed with animals at our core, at our heart. Uh, we are the only political party established to protect animals. And we're the only one that, you know, advocates to end suffering for all animals. So, you know, if if you are an animal lover and you connect with animals, it just makes sense to vote that way as well. Um, because, yeah, we're, we're the only ones bringing light to the plight of animals across Australia and the issues that they face. So, um, yeah, it's we're, we're a great party. <laughs> And for those who don't know, um, who maybe um, aren't aware of sort of politics around Australia very much, or you don't follow things as closely as others, um, the Animal Justice Party is a, is, is a minor party. It's, you know, it's obviously not one of the really big players, but mm -hmm. it has a really big base. Like there's a there's a, a consistent base. It gets in some seats anywhere between two to four or five percent I've seen in previous elections. So there's there's considerable support for the Animal Justice Party. And there's in state, in two states, in Victoria and New South Wales, there are actually um, Animal Justice Party representatives in the um, government. So yeah, we also animal justice. We also had two councillors elected in Victoria as well. We have oh, that's great. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, Julia Sloan in Bendigo. She's fantastic. Oh, fantastic. So so we've got local, so Animal Justice Party has local members, has state members, and now, and it has been doing so for, for over a decade, running for federal, uh, running federal candidates to get um, members into federal parliament. What are the key policies that Animal Justice Party would bring to federal um, parliament? Yeah, so the policies, they do vary, but, you know, what we advocate on varies, like you said, between local, state or federal, you know, elections. So federally, um, the main one, the, the big stark one that we're campaigning on that we're bringing to the election is an live animal export. So we, we want to see an immediate ban to that for all animals, you know, across all, all seasons and to all countries. Can so you tell moment, us a little bit, what is, what is live animal export for those who may not be aware? Yeah, so basically it's where animals are, you know, grown and bred and raised in Australia and then they're put onto ships and loaded to be sent overseas. So to, you know, a range of other foreign countries, uh, usually to be slaughtered for, for consumption. Uh, so a lot of the time... The, the main kind of welfare problem is that they're being sent to extremely hot countries in the Middle East and the temperatures on these ships are just getting so hot that animals, you know, we've seen it's particularly sheep are the ones that get the most attention because footage has come out from these ships that they call them death ships um, and it was published on, you know, things like I think it was 60 Minutes or a Current Affair, I can't remember one of those. Um, so that's how a lot of people know about live export and what it involves. But, yeah, these animals are actually boiling alive because the temperatures are, are so hot that they're cooking from the inside out. The conditions are abysmal on the ships. They're actually, you know, crammed together in the, the thousands, um, maybe even tens of thousands, I don't know, um, in such tight conditions that they can't move. So they're, you know, they're in their, they're in their own excrement. They're, they're moving around in their own feces. 
the, obviously the veterinary care is very, very little if existent at all. So the problem is that, yeah, not just the journey that they take to get to these other countries, if, but even if they make it there, which many don't, they die on the way, but even if they make it there, we're sending them to foreign countries where we have no control over how the animals are treated once they get there. And they often face slaughter and in unimaginable ways that are even more cruel than how we operate in Australia. So, you know, it's kind of, there's two parts there to, to why live export mm. is so horrible. Yeah, definitely an important issue to be working on. Uh, what other policies is the AJP um, taking to the election? So, yeah, still on the, on the animal kind of topic, um, factory farming is a huge one. I know that that's something that even mainstream people get around and, and same with live export. You know, you don't have to be a, a vegan or, a, you know, a huge animal activist or advocate to realise that this is cruel. So, again, that's just, you know, animals in extremely tight, confined, you know, inhumane, insufferable conditions inside factories. You know, they, like even just the name, I had this realisation the other day, it's called Factory Farm because they're, producing them like they're on a factory line, you know, like yeah. they're just yeah. an object. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so we have a policy to phase out live, uh, sorry, to phase out factory farming by 2027 at the latest. And a big part of that policy is, you know, supporting the workers who work in those industries and those farmers to transition into more ethical, sustainable, you know, plant-based agriculture, um, cell cultured meat, you know, all these industries that are, economically booming that we could tap into so they're not only ethical and environmentally sustainable but they're also economically sustainable so mm, that's, that's something i'm very passionate about and that's something we've spoken about on the show in the past and um this just transition um to plant-based agriculture uh maybe follows similar models where people around the world are doing just transitions out of fossil fuel industries and um seeing something similar happening in agriculture sounds like a um a really yeah. important policy to Absolutely. be, to would be it, would representing it, yeah and it wouldn't happen overnight and it wouldn't necessarily be easy i know that there's people that whose livelihoods rely on these industries but we just don't have a choice we have to transition out of it you know if, it, if we're not doing it for ethical and compassionate reasons we're going to have to do it for environmental reasons sooner or later anyway so we may as well just you know make the compassionate choice and start start doing you know involving ourselves in that transition now and just on that factory farming too you know the our another argument that we've got for that is the use of antibiotics in these factory farms which is going to you know like it or not create our next zoonotic disease which is going to create our next pandemic so again we're when just we don't have a choice anymore but to realize you know the consequences of our human actions in treating animals this way and we've seen the impact that it's had and we're going to continue to see it if we don't start to make some changes absolutely and are there other key policies that you're you're bringing yeah sorry i'm talking too much about no no about it's fantastic. very passionate um no no it's, it's yeah. absolutely great so yeah in a bit of a nutshell we have um 15 core policies related to animals people or planet but animals wise um, a lot of it's around protecting our native australian animals and our icons like koalas and kangaroos especially um koalas you know being listed as endangered and having a national koala recovery plan and banning land clearing to protect them um, ending the use of animal poisons especially mm. you know extremely inhuman inhumane ones such as 1080 um, yep. animal testing so defunding research method methods that rely on you know animal experimentation um, stronger protection for our pets um, you know things like puppy and kitten farming and the interstate sale of 
of, you know, the animals that we love so much. And also a big one is establishing an independent office of animal protection. So that's like a federal animal protection body to unify and make out all our states and territories animal protection laws consistent and, you know, strong, but like 10 times better than they are now. So. Mm. And so there's clearly um, a very strong, as the name would suggest, Animal Justice Party, a very strong focus on animals. But if, say, there's a, uh, a punter who's going down to the uh, the um, polling booths next Saturday, and they look at they look at Animal Justice Party and they go, ah, that's just about animals. They're a one a, a single issue party, and I need I want to. Um, vote for someone who's going to bring more than just a single issue to mm. parliament. We need federal members who are aware and cognizant of more than just a single issue. What would you say to someone like that? I would say they're completely right. I think that, you know, the time for single issue parties and one trick ponies is we're moving on from that. And I think people should expect more from their politicians and from their political parties than just single issues. Um, which is why I'm so proud that the Animal Justice Party has amazing comprehensive policies on human rights and social justice issues and also environmental and climate issues. Um, you know, we have animals are at our core, they're our heart, and we're the only ones advocating for them. That's what makes us so different. But we also have, yeah, those people and planet policies that are based on our core values of kindness, equality, rationality, and, and nonviolence, so people can understand that you know, we're about more than just animals because naturally, you know, kindness extends far beyond animals. It extends, you know, to our planet, to, you know, the other people that we share this life with. Um, and we're not going to get justice for animals until we can, you know, alleviate human suffering and get justice for our climate as well. It's all so interconnected. Um, so, yeah, they should absolutely expect more from us than just only animals, but we're not just that, which is so, that's what's so wonderful about the Animal Justice Party. Yeah, fantastic. Are there any, um, so you mentioned uh, people and and environment, or pl people and planet, sorry, the other yeah. the other pillars of your policies. Are there any, are there, is there a key policy for each of those that just gives a flavour for the AJP um, about what they stand for? So for people, for instance. Yeah, yeah. So well, you can't just pick one, but you know, <laughs> give, me, give me a few. It's, then. <laughs> it's all about building an equitable, kind society. Like honestly, it all comes down to that. So you can infer from that what you will. That means protecting vulnerable communities, disabled people, LGBTQIA plus inclusion, refugees, mm. First Nations people. You know, an immediate and genuine treaty with our First Nations Australians. Um, improving the situation. Gender equity, reducing the gender pay gap, you know, violence against women and also animals, you know, that that's where it all becomes interrelated animals as victims of family violence and also, mm -hmm. you know, for example, women who don't leave domestic violence situations because they have a companion animal to care for that, that they can't leave without so it's all so interconnected um, and then planet wise. I actually believe we have the strongest climate policies out of any party because we're the only ones willing to address all causes of the climate emergency, not just the ones that are convenient. So we talk about animal agriculture and land clearing and methane emissions, which other parties don't touch on. So our, you know, climate policy is to re reach net zero emissions by 2035. We want to declare a climate emergency. We want to yeah, ban land clearing, no more fossil and fossil fuels. You know, all these things that wonderful parties like the Greens are advocating for, but we also address the things that other parties might not find 
comfortable. Mm. <laughs> um, and I, again, you know, coming back to that interconnected web, that's all related to animals again. So it's just, you know, commonsensical, really. Yeah. And I think, you know, greens obviously do have a strong environmental um, uh, policies, um, but I, and I'll, I'll share some of these um, in a bit, but I, I think that their, their policies in regards to animals are lacking in comparison to the AJP. Um, yeah, I think if you added all the animal policies from all the parties together, ours would still be much stronger. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so thank you for your time. Do you mind just telling us, I, I, someone said the other day um, from the AJP, and I really, I really like this this point. They said, if someone asks what policy, what what we would vote for in any given um, piece of legislation, we would take the compassionate choice. Mm -hmm. We would make the compassionate um, or the the vote that's bound, that's um, grounded in compassion. Can you remind us of those four? core values of the AJP because I think they're they're absolutely yeah, great. They are absolutely what we operate on. So yeah, we have policies and positions on so many issues, but they don't cover everything. So people know how we would feel about something or how we would vote on something by looking to those core values. So the first one's kindness, um, equality, rationality, and nonviolence. So yeah. I think it's a really good group of four strong essential, they're all essential. Uh, values that we all guide ourselves by. Absolutely. And if people want to learn more about the AJP's policies, where can they look? Uh, you can go straight to the website. Everything's, everything's on there. We're all about the candidates, policies, you know, what we stand for. Um, so for Victoria, it's vic.animaljusticeparty.org. Cool. And if you're looking at the, the there's the National Animal Justice Party as well, if you go to animaljusticeparty.org forward slash our underscore policies, you'll get straight to their their policies. Mm -hmm. But it's very clear once you go onto animaljusticeparty.org, they've got big um, menu buttons up the top that sort of point to policies and elections. So you could look at who is, um, you could look at all the different candidates around Australia who are running. Um, and if you might be able to find if there's someone running in your particular seat. So keep an eye out for the Animal Justice Party on your how to, on your vote ticket. And um, obviously compare it with other parties. Uh, but you've heard it from Meg, um, <laughs> the great policies that the Animal Justice Party are running this election. Thanks so much for your time, Meg. Um, and how's it going out there on the poll on the polling booths on the pre polls, actually? It's good. Yeah, it's um you know, steady and people are very receptive. I've honestly had pretty much nothing but support so far. So I think, you know, like even the mainstream person who's not, like I said, an animal advocate, they still care about animals and they still want to see them treated better. So I think we have a quite a warm reception. So I'm, I'm excited. Fingers crossed we can get our first ever senator elected because that's a big goal this year. Yeah, that would be, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, game changer. And, and just to, because you've been out on the, on the, on the, um, booth for a week I imagine you've got a good feel I I'm imagining that this year there are so many people pre-polling is are we mm. are you seeing a lot of people come through the pre-polls yeah I don't honestly have much to compare it to because I wasn't there much last uh federal election but yeah they're, they're, they're estimating about 40 percent of people are voting early and it could be up to 50 percent so that's a lot um that's huge. It's really yeah it's really important that we have that presence out there um so people know that we exist and that they can you know vote for us and, and all the other parties so that they can see what all their options are and make their mind up um so yeah lots of people coming through 
Yeah. And make sure you get down and vote before next Saturday, folks. Your vote does count. It matters. And some some electorates, they're decided by a few hundred votes and your vote will really matter on who gets who gets in. So um, make sure you get down there and vote, folks. Thanks so much, Meg, for joining us. Really appreciate it. And good luck um, next, next Saturday. Thanks, Adam. We'll need it. Give us all the luck. <laughs> The federal election is on Saturday the 21st of May. Across the country, the Australian Electoral Commission is mailing out an official guide to the election. In it, you'll find all the information you need to make your vote count, including what COVID-19 safety measures will be in place. If you don't receive a copy, you can get one online at aec.gov.au or by calling 132326. It's our vote and our future. Authorised by the Electoral Commissioner, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Freedom of Species here on 3CR Radical Radio Community Radio. And we're chatting just the first half of the show uh, about the upcoming election and the different parties that are going to be, you know, available or uh, seeking your vote. And we've just heard from uh, Meg from the Animal Justice Party, but there are clearly other parties who have concern for animals and policies regarding animals. I've looked at the main three parties, like the, um, and I just want to highlight some of the um, some of the policies that they have around animals. Uh, I'm not advocating that you vote for any particular party, um, but rather that you look in your local area, look across a range of different policies and make a choice that is suitable for you and your interests and your values. Um, but in relation to animals, that's what we're here for in Freedom of Species, if you're thinking about animals, um, I'll give some highlights on what I could find from different parties, the Greens, Labor and Liberal, on their particular positions on um, different animal policies. So we just heard from the AJP, clearly have a, a strong animal um, set of policies because they're, it's sort of their core, part of their core position is speaking for animals. Um, but the Greens also have some pretty strong positions on animals. Um, and I found their 2022 policy platform, and there's a document that you can go and find online. If you look up the Greens um, and look up their 2022 policy, you can find a big, a big list of different policies um, and read through them. They have a specific animal policy document which I found to be quite useful for understanding where they are positioned in relation to animal um, issues. And I just want to read out some of their points, some of their policies in relation to animals. So like the AJP, but a touch different, the Greens um, support the establishment of an independent office of animal welfare. And this is different to the, to the AJP who support an independent office of animal protection. And those two, the, the difference between welfare and protection, while it might sound um, sort of small or semantic, I think it uh, is quite telling about the different positions the two parties might take in regards to animals and how they think about animals. Um, so the Greens also are interested in enacting strong national laws to end animal cruelty and protect the welfare of animals. Um, I, I find, and the I think that Labor have a similar similar policy for that, like that says something like that. But 
I don't know, I don't, they sound like very um, broad general statements, those sorts of things. Um, a, more, a bit more specific, the Greens are also interested in banning live export of livestock for slaughter, consumption or profit. Um, they're interested in ending inhumane intensive factory farming with a just transition for workers employed in those industries. So interesting that the Greens are talking about factory farming um, and always good to see that brought up as an issue. Um, looking into the detail, you might want to compare between AJP and the Greens who both have a um, policy position on this um, and there's going to be intricacies, I imagine, around what they're considering there. So make sure to check them out. Another good one that I, I, I sort of liked that seems like a clear um, a clear policy and a clear goal that the Greens could be trying to achieve in the next um, round if they get some seats is the shutdown to shut down the racing of horses and greyhounds um, and end the export of greyhounds for commercial purposes. So there's a very clear policy that the Greens is going in with. Um, and then the last one that I could see that was like a strong policy position by the Greens in their animal policy platform, so 2022, uh, was tr to tackle the cruel global shark fin trade by banning the import and export of shark fins. All right, so that's the Greens. And certainly I'd encourage you to go and look at their animal policy document um, for this election, what they're bringing for animals. Um, I, I will say there was one in there that I was I was looking at policies and I noticed on the Victorian Greens page they had something around um, native animals and in, in non-native species and the need to have strong controls of non-native species. So to me that sounds like um, the you like it sounds like killing programs or management programs um, targeted at non-native or um, invasive species. So that's something to look in, into and look out for. It's certainly a difference in the um, positions between AJP and, and the Greens. Um, we've got now the, the next two parties that I'm going to talk about, and these are the only other parties I looked into. Um, I tried to I tried to find some stuff from the Reason Party. I thought that they might have some policies relating to animals, but um, I couldn't find anything specific. So possibly um, they might have, but I couldn't find it. It wasn't clear um, whether they had positions on animals. Um, but the Labor Party, they obviously they're they're very there's very strong likelihood that they might get into um, into government this election. Uh, they, I looked through their 2021 national platform document. I tried to find a more recent document um, that was specifically around the current election campaign. Um, I couldn't find one. So this is, this is what I found. And when I looked at their election website, they pointed to this document. So this is a 2021 national platform document. And what I found in there um, that I thought was relevant was a point on humane animal welfare. I think it was like point 93 or something like that. And what they say is, this is basically pretty much the only thing in the um, document that I think is specific to animals, not couched in some other topic like environment or something. Um, under humane animal welfare, they make this short statement. All animals should be treated humanely. Labor will work to achieve better animal welfare and consistent application and enforcement of animal protection statutes by harmonizing 
relevant federal, state, and territory laws and codes. To me, that doesn't say much at all. It sort of says, yeah, we're signalling that we um, want to have some sort of position on animal welfare, but we're not actually saying that we'll do much at all. <laughs> if I read between the lines there, it's it, and the reference to animal welfare, it sort of falls within standard practice um, of industry and how we think about animals today because the the use of language like animal welfare or frame, framing our use of animals as animal welfare is pretty standard practice even in industries who um, sort of can uh, commit serious harms to animals they will say that it's um, the best animal welfare standards that they can achieve so you know read that as you will try to look up some um, more specific points from the Labor Party. I couldn't find many. Um, there might have been some that have come out in the news that I haven't seen, um, but in their policy document, uh, there wasn't much that I could find. The other point that you probably will have been aware of or you might have seen in this last couple of weeks is um, Labor's position on banning live sheep exports. So this is something shared between Labor, um, the Greens and AJP. Um, although the Labor are talking about banning live sheep exports, not live exports, which includes more than just sheep. Um, so it's obviously a little bit um, less encompassing there from Labor. And the problem with Labor's um, point on this policy, or, well, I'm not even sure it's a policy yet because <laughs> I couldn't find anything that was clearly um, outlined by Labor on this topic, except for some points that they support a ban of live sheep exports, um, but they're not, they've not given any date or any details around what that means. So again, read that with a grain of salt. Um, depending on how trusting you are, you might, you might believe them. Uh, I tend to be fairly sceptical when it comes to politicians, so I, um, I'm taking that with a big, strong um, spoonful of salt. Uh, they might be interested in banning live sheep exports, but um, whether they've got the political will or, the, or are willing to spend the political capital to get that through is to be seen. Um, and we'll have to wait and see whether they get into power and whether they would pursue that. Um, and then the Liberals. Um, I mean, the Liberals have been in power for nine years now, um, and they have overseen... Um, a lot of a lot of policies that perhaps aren't um, particularly uh, good for animals, including the pursuit of ag gag laws and these sorts of things. Um, they are also they've also overseen a recent um, statement from uh, one of the departments, I think, Department of Agriculture, that is looking at an a re relaxing of of live export. So they're relaxing um, part of the summer ban or they're interested in relaxing part of the summer ban, which is actually taking a step back in the live exports um, position. And they have explicitly said, I, I'm pretty sure I found this, um, they, doesn't, they do not support an independent animal welfare commission where um, the uh, Greens do and AJP support an independent animal welfare protection um, commission. Sorry, Animal Protection Commission, not Animal Welfare Commission. So the Liberals, I could not find anything specific on their, um, as a party, on their positions on animals. But with all these things, as always, 
check your local candidate. You may have a um, local candidate who is a Liberal or a Green or a Labor or a, someone who's running, who's an independent, that's not part of any party, who has really strong positions on animals, really cares for animals. So, of course, always make your choice based on the local candidate and what suits you best and read all of their policies, um, be informed and um, get out there to vote. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and help keep communities strong. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2022. To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2022. Keep communities strong. You're listening to Freedom of Species, bringing animal advocacy to the airwaves. And today we've got a long-time friend and um, multiple guests uh, coming to the show just to give us a quick update on a um, on a campaign that's been running for many years. Um, thanks for joining us, Kristen. It's Kristen hey, Lee Adam. from from Melbourne Against Horse-Drawn Carriages. And I actually... When I got in contact with you, Christian, Kristen, today, I, I remembered, I think you are the very first guest that I ever interviewed for Freedom of Species six years ago. And I think it might have been on this topic. Oh, that's awesome. I love yeah. that. That's really cool. I think you're right. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. So can you just tell us? So Kristen's been working for a long time with, with others in Melbourne to um, ban horse-drawn carriages that run in Melbourne CBD and if you've ever been to Melbourne you know that it's a very busy um, built-up area and that there's horse-drawn carriages running through this city with next to skyscrapers is just a little wild anyway but Kristen can you tell us a little bit about the um, history of the horse-drawn carriages to start off with and the campaign that you've been running? Sure. Uh, so horse-drawn carriages have been operating in Melbourne for about 35 years I would say um, and across that time, they've had um, many incidents, but they haven't really been documented because no one's really been there to to um, to do that. And the council have happily turned a blind eye, as have the other authorities. Um, they, I think, the authorities have been very unclear as to what the rules are for horse-drawn carriages. The carriages say they they have this kind of um, special treatment and right of way, and I think that comes from. The road safety rules not really being upgraded over the years, um, and uh, and but as a as a driver or a cyclist or uh, no one um, knows what the rules are as far as horse-drawn carriages go, um, so they've kind of gotten away with just being this kind of wild west business that operates in the city. They've been getting their way. They they've refused to pay fines for things you know par um, illegal parking or using phones whilst driving a carriage because the rules are quite. Um, hazy but ultimately they are supposed to operate like a car um, and follow those same road rules and they've just been getting away with not doing that so since we formed um, 10 years ago uh, eight years ago we've been able to document and highlight and really bring that to the attention of the authorities and to the general public as to you know why this is not only a cruel industry that oppresses and harms horses and for all sorts of reasons should not happen for their welfare it's also um, a real safety issue for people commuting in the city 
And uh, it's funny, once you start a campaign, all the stories start coming out from things that happened way back when people start contacting you because they've got someone to go to that actually cares because the authorities, you know, wouldn't take action. So, um, yeah, the, the, um, I guess so that's the, that's the history of them. Um, the, we shudder to think of all the things that have happened over the years that no one ever knew about. Um, because they will um, just cover everything up as much as possible, obviously. So, so yeah, since the campaign started, we've been able to to bring all that to light. Yeah, and I remember some of the the things is where you folks were able to follow and find out where horses were being housed in the city and just in really bad conditions, not suitable for a horse, like cramped and in was it in a like a an old block or a um even maybe in a room somewhere or something it was very odd um yeah they were in um there there's a few sites that they've used over the years but when we started the campaign there was three one was just an old paddock no grass um and a couple of shelters and um and no shade uh the shelters were actually used for the carriages not the horses um and uh another was a um uh, two of them um, were kind of like a car park and they just put down some some um, some straw and dirt in some areas uh, and then they had some shipping containers that they keep the carriages in and sometimes the horses would be in there too. Um, one that was around before we started that we heard about horrible stories about from ex-employees was just this tiny sort of back of a shop in North Melbourne and um, we were never able to verify it, but the the ex employee said the horses would just be up to their to their knees in in um, in excrement. So in manure. So yeah, they the conditions were horrific. There was no proper shelter for them. Um, they were unable to graze in these situations, and they were often out just on the concrete. You know, we've got video of them just out on the concrete, slipping around. Um, you know, quite sad imagery of them trying to eat a little bit of grass coming through the the two blocks of concrete, you know, because they're wanting to graze and they can't. And grazing is essential for a horse's health um, and well-being. So to take that away from them is really damaging physically and mentally. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty shocking. And, and no and one knew that. And when we showed those pictures, they were just horrified. And it makes sense because when you bring horses into a CBD all day, you don't want to be transporting them from the country every day to the city. So it's easier for them, obviously, to just keep them in these inner city situations that are entirely appropriate. Yeah, and then the, the, the working day, I think another really important thing that you folks um, exposed was the working day of some of these horses would be, I, I think I remember seeing something like 12 hours long. They'd come in during the morning and they'd be there all day. And again, if you're not from this part of the world, um, Melbourne, say in summer, it can get very hot. It's a big city, so it has um, a city heat effect. So it's hotter than, say, you would would be out in a paddock somewhere. Um, and they're just standing around on on bitumen and concrete and getting that radiative heat effect um, and horribly hot, standing around for hours at a time. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, they... Um... They would be there 12-hour days legally under a code of practice that the City of Melbourne created for them. And, again, that's something no one knew until we were able to bring that to light. Um, you know, that's, that code of practice was approved by the RSPCA and, um, you know, other stakeholders. So that was really just... And the, the temperature was... I mean, it wasn't enforced anyway. The temperatures were 
that they were allowed to work in um, with humidity levels and things, but no one was enforcing it. It's just one of those things. Turn a blind eye, it's easier, no one cares. So it takes some, you know, it all like everything in, in activism, it takes some some people to really, you know, stand up and speak out and expose the truth before people start to care, because otherwise they just it's easier for them to not worry about it. Absolutely. And that it really this case I think really highlights the importance of um, groups like yourself, like um, Melbourne against horse-drawn carriages and other animal advocacy groups because the structures that are meant to be there to protect animals, you know, RSPCA, you mentioned, approved these conditions for horses, which are not in the interest, the well-being of the horses. It's not good for their health. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. And the structures exist to oppress these, these beings. And it's just really great to know that there's people like yourself and others in the group who are who are standing up for the horses and have um, created an outcome after many long years. Actually, before I get to that, I just wanted to mention, even during COVID, I saw, I, I was just having a look at some of the reports on things um, about the about the wind that you'll just, you'll tell us about in a moment. And I saw that there was a photo from last year that um, someone had captured, I think it might've been you, of a horse who had died. Is, is that correct? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Even during COVID, you were able mm -hmm. to, and in Melbourne, again, if you're not from Melbourne, we had 500 and something days of hard lockdown where you weren't mm -hmm. able to get outside the house. And one, why were these horses in the city if no one's in the city doing anything? Mm -hmm. Like, why were they even continuing to work? And two, um, yeah, you were still thinking about the horses even during this period where things were... Um, were very up in the air and very hard, hard. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and the poor yeah, horse? Yeah, uh, so I think that 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 uh, horse died sort of as we were coming out of lockdowns and they were trying to get back into the, you know, the, the business again. So they were limiting the number of carriages and horses they were bringing in each day, but they were still trying to to keep a presence there and, and keep things going. So um, that horse, they were actually commuting into the city from their, you know, car park that they like to call stables um, that day from North Melbourne or Kensington possibly. Uh, apparently there was three carriages heading in together, um, two or three, and uh, and uh, one of the horses um, was witnessed, wasn't by us, it was someone who contacted us, just collapsed on the ground Um and uh, and was just laying there, and they they had no idea what to do. They didn't even um, untie the horse from the carriage. They just were standing around scratching their heads. Um, eventually, they did put a blanket over the horse. The, blanket, the, the horse had pretty died quite quickly, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, so there was this horrific image that went around of this horse still trapped strapped to a carriage, you know, um, laying with the blanket over them. Um, and uh, a bunch of drivers just standing there not knowing what to do, not being able to move the horse, and so they had to wait for a truck to, to come in. I mean, the thing with these things, I believe the police arrived, and they don't know what to do either. They're just there like, oh, well, okay, there's a dead horse. There's no investigation. There's no autopsy. You know, there's none of that. It's just, you know, if a human was there lying dead on the road, there'd be this big thing, and and someone would be held accountable if it wasn't, an, you know, a natural cause. But so from that, we we tried to find out um, what actually occurred and, you know, it's impossible. It's just um, the City of Melbourne did try and they said it was, um, they just believe the drivers. They say it was natural causes. So, okay, we'll just believe that. I mean, it could have been. We don't, we don't know. Um, it looked like it was the start, the start of the day. I mean, they could have been malnourished. They could have been 
Um, it could have been a sudden heart attack. I mean, it could have they could have been unwell for a long time with 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 any kind of you know disease or who knows. You, you never find out with these things. Well, it's hard to anyway because no one really follows up. So I mean, we had a situation years ago through about the middle of the campaign where a horse was limping so badly through the city, still still attached to the carriage, and they were just trying to they were still forcing them through the streets and a woman saw and was like they were they were in clearly in immense pain and she chased the driver down and she was like pull over pull over your horse is suffering and as soon as they let the horse stop the horse collapsed and that horse lay on the road for about five hours while they waited for the truck to come and collect this horse and you know we contacted the city of melbourne who we're in constant communication with and they said oh the driver told us that you know the horse is fine um I'm like, well, have you gone to see the horse or anything? No, we didn't do that. I mean, it's just ridiculous. There's no protection for animals, really. And um, this campaign, like most others, highlights that. So, yeah, um, uh, that yeah, sadly, we still don't know what 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 happened to that horse. But um, yeah, they they clearly died in an awful situation. And highlights the need for your work and and why this win is so important. Can you tell us a little bit about? what's just recently come to pass with horse-drawn carriages in Melbourne and um, what this means for the horses. Yeah, so um, we've, in 2017, we had street trading permits banned uh, and that was the sort of initial um, pressure that we were doing on the city of Melbourne was to, to get that win because although we knew it wouldn't end them being on the streets, we knew it would impact their business and that would be a first step because the authorities would say, oh, don't the police and the Victorian government um, and the Vic Roads would say, this is the city of Melbourne that endorses this, so we therefore can't do anything. So we knew we had to get those permits removed first and that endorse, and therefore the endorsement from the city of Melbourne removed before we could actually get them off the roads. So it was a bit of a, you know, a, a strategic step-by-step campaign. So we achieved that in 2017 um, to get those street permits taken away. Obviously, as expected, the operators kept illegally trading. The city of Melbourne wasn't enforcing that. Um, they just don't have the resources. I think they tried, um, but the operators are very sneaky in the way they go about that. So um, they would sort of, you know, take money once they were on the, you know, around the garden somewhere where no one could see and things like that. Mm. So we were documenting this and proving that they were still street trading because that's the majority of their business. It's a custom that's spare at the moment. Um, so then for... Uh, then we so we kept campaigning then to get them off the roads, and um, then we had COVID, which obviously threw a threw a spanner in that. But um, uh, we yeah we've been working with the state government um, to and uh, Rohan at the city of Melbourne has been amazing. He actually brought together a a roundtable for all stakeholders to actually sit down um, and talk about the issues and come to some kind of you know outcome that was right. Um, and it took that because the authorities throughout the whole campaign would pass the buck. That was all they do. Mm. Victoria Police would pass it to City Melbourne, City Melbourne pass it to state government, and it just go in circles. So um, getting everyone in the same room to talk, well, in the same Zoom, um, was really, really essential because no one could do that anymore. Um, and that really was the key to getting this um, this ban because uh, uh, the City of Melbourne ha- opened up submissions and we had so many submissions come in, people spoke to the councillors the councillors were distressed when they saw our video footage it was almost it was weird watching them they were watching the footage we put together um in of all the horses fallen and being kicked by operators and all sorts of things going on the horse hit by a tram um where they are kept at night all those kind of things and they almost some of them looked like they were going to come to tears i mean this is things we've been saying to them 
for mm. years, but when they're forced to look at it, it just, yeah. you know, changed it so much. And they voted unanimously for this roundtable to take place, which was great. So then once that did, um, I think the Vic government, once they had the support of the City of Melbourne saying, yes, we want your help, we can't, we can't ban them from the roads, you have to, we've done all we can, then the state government um, really had no choice but to say, okay, well, we need to do something here. Um, so, uh, yeah, that um, that all came to be. Uh, um, we just got the announcement, yeah, um, this week. So um, we were expecting it, but um, we were always concerned that something could go wrong. Um, and so there was a huge relief to get that news. So they legally cannot travel within the hotel grid. Um, so people know it's Latrobe to Flinders uh, and Spring to Spencer. So they are still allowed on the roads in Victoria, unfortunately. We would love to get that across, but this is, again, a step towards something bigger. Mm. Um, so they can still be around the gardens, but there's no street trading around the gardens, really. Um, so we believe, and they've admitted themselves, the operators, that this will pretty much be the, the end of their industry, because, well, at least in the city of Melbourne, because um, they just won't be able to sustain it at the gardens. Yeah. yeah, and and for people's um, understanding of sort of the situation there, the uh, Swanson Street's a really busy, busy street in Melbourne, the centre of Melbourne, right next to the um, the big train station, is where these these horses were lined up with their carriages, and they and thousands and tens of thousands of people walk past there daily, and pe tourists will jump on and go for a bit of a joy ride around around the CBD on on the horses, and sh the the um gardens which they might travel down to is out of the city it's sort of you know a couple of hundred meters away and out of the way and not as many um people just be walking past so it really does um impact their ability to get customers these spur of the moment customers um as Kristen is saying so yeah hopefully we see it um just fade away uh, for the horse's sake um Great, great work. So, and and again, I think this 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 um, particular case highlights the need for persistence, to bear witness, to keep on advocating, um, and that these things take time. And people, people who aren't animal people, it's not top of mind for them. Like you say, they'll they'll hear it and they'll be like, oh, like the councillors, they'll hear it and they'll be like, oh yeah, it's not great, but we can't do much about it. It's and it's about the persistence to then be able to get them to see it to actually mm -hmm. focus on it for that short period of time that they were able to. And, um, and I think that most people, when they really engage with these things, know what's what's wrong and this was clearly wrong. So yeah. congratulations, Kristen. Yeah, it's good to have a win. They're rare, as we all know, for animals. So, um, yeah, it feels, it feels good to, to achieve um, something for them and I think we'll celebrate at some point. Um, and uh, yeah, come together and 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 you know and and just um, yeah, be you know invite all the people that that contributed because this was a massive team effort from people we still wouldn't have met. You know, a lot of it was about writing letters and, and making phone calls and and sharing information. So there's a bunch of people out there that I wouldn't even know helped that did. So um, I'm just so grateful to everyone for for doing what was needed and and persevering and. You know, it gets tiring to keep banging your head against a wall, <laughs> but eventually, you know, the wall might break. So mm. it's good. And and reflecting and remembering all of those horses who have been harmed over the years from this practice and 
and hopefully who are there's going to be less of that at least um, well that's the thing i mean it's the symbolism of this as well isn't it it's the 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 horses the direct suffering it causes them but it's also this vision of this that's always got me is this idea of a horse being attached to a carriage tied up to a pole all day in the city waiting for a ride yeah. um it's just um it sends this message to people that these animals are just are just um a commodity a vehicle um, waiting for you to decide if you want them to take you somewhere. You know, there's no autonomy for them and no body freedom, no choice. They can't move. Literally, they're in that courage. So um, uh, they're strapped in and they're tied to a pole a lot of the day waiting for a, for a trip. So, yeah, it's that symbolism that's been really important and that won't be seen in Melbourne now. Um, you know, people won't, won't, they won't, Melbourne won't reinforce this idea of animals as objects as soon as people get off the, the, the station. So, yeah. And right. while I've got you, I just, um, uh, I didn't talk to you about this beforehand, but I just wanted to ask. So, COVID was, was hard and we, there was, it was hard not being able to be out there doing things. Um, can you just tell us what you're, what you're hoping to do and, and planning to get into now that we can get back out into the world? Um, what's, <laughs> what are the next steps, not just in horse-drawn carriages campaign, but other campaigns? I know you're, you're a pro prolific um, activist and advocate, and mm. um, I'd just love to know what you've got planned. Uh, well, uh, for the horse-drawn carriages, we'll have to keep documenting, unfortunately, just because we know they don't listen to what's required and, and the, the rules there. So we'll have to keep um, asking people to, you know, still be vigilant um, if they do see them in that area to document that it sends it through. So we'll keep that sort of flowing. Hopefully we don't have to and it ends, but we'll just have to keep on the ball for a bit and see what happens. Um, as far as uh, other things go, so we've... Um, I. I'm the campaign director for a group called Vegan Rising, and we um, just did a where we just did a rodeo occupation in the arena at the rodeo um, uh, at Bendigo, and uh, stopped the show for an hour. So that was really great. Um, Ten women uh, chained to each other and and sat down and refused to move. So that was good. So we want to carry on that campaign um, as best we can with the limited time and resources we've got, but we really want to. Um, keep the rodeo campaign flowing. Um, so that'll be a bit of a focus this year. We've also just launched a no third runway campaign, which will just be a sort of smaller project. Um, the Melbourne Airport is trying to, to launch it to set up a third runway, um, which will have um, horrific impacts for the very threatened species, the swift parrot. Um, they're going to clear the forest. It's one of the few forests they have to feed when they fly over from Tasmania. So we want to, um, they only breed in Tasmania and then they come over to Victoria or the southeast of Australia to, to feed. And um, we, we need to protect that forest for them and the third runway will destroy it. So that's a, a little project we've just started on. Um, and that will also obviously have huge carbon emissions. A third runway, they're looking at adding heaps more planes coming out of Melbourne Airport. Um, so we, we just obviously climate change is a big thing we all need to be focused on. So that'll, um, that's another driving factor of why this third runway can't go ahead. Um, so people can, we just posted about that last night on the Vegan Rising Facebook page, if people can make a submission, the deadline's on Monday against that mm. third runway would be great. Um, and then we're working on something that I can't talk about, unfortunately. Um, it's gonna, it's a lot of background work going on and it's gonna take quite a bit of time. 
Um, but we, it's going to be our peer campaign and it's something that I've actually been wanting to do for ever since my eyes were opened to all of these atrocities. I'm finally doing it and I've got a good team of people. We're working together to bring something together. But, yeah, it will take some time, but we want to, it's really important campaign and it's something that hasn't been done that should have been done a long time ago. So we just... Um, we want it to be done right. So we're just, uh, it's going to take quite a bit of time investigating and things that we're doing at the moment. So, um, yeah, I would love people to to um, jump on that when they can, when the time comes. Um, and then I work with the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses. So we're just full steam ahead constantly um, uh, exposing the reality of horse racing. Uh, and obviously planning now already, we're starting to plan for the spring carnival, which is the, you know, the biggest time for the horse racing industry in Australia. Um, so uh, lots is happening there. There's a horse traceability register that has just gone, gone to by the wayside that everyone was expecting to happen. So we're about to release information on that so we can get people to make sure that actually happens. Um, you know, there's never a dull moment in horse racing. It's such a big industry and there's so many angles to come at it from. So we're just constantly working on that. So, yeah, that's the Coalition for Protection of Racehorses. If anyone ever wants to help, they can fill out a volunteer form on the horseracingkills.com website. Yeah, they're doing, again, some excellent work and have been for many, many years. Um, and once, you've, once you're ready to release that or talk about that new campaign that you're working on, the research you're doing, let us know and we'll, um, we'll talk about it on the show. We absolutely, absolutely. love to um, get it out there for people. That'd be um, great. Thank you, Adam. And and are people able to get in touch with Vegan Rising? Is it something that people can um, come and help with if if they're interested? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How would they activists, do that? Yeah, activists that want to get involved can just email us at hello at veganrising.org.au um, uh, and or message us on our Facebook page. And, um, yeah, there's always things we need done. You know, there's the... Um, you know, graphic design work, there's writing, there's um, there's helping, you know, with ideas and background work and things. So, and then the actions are, aren't very often, but when they happen, once we build trust with people, they can, they can get involved with those too once we get to know people better. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time, Kristen. I really appreciate it. And, um, and good luck with things to come. Thanks, Adam. Thanks heaps. FreeCR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station strong and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2022. 3CR, keep community strong. And that's us done for the week, folks. You've been listening to Freedom of Species. And up next, we've got a, another great show of rotations. So make sure to tune in. Stay tuned in, I should say. And uh, listen to the wonderful music that's going to be playing next. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.